Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. I'm excited to be here with you. My name's Jared, one of the pastors here. Uh, Glad to be a part of of this body. So grateful that we get to be uh, here together today. So grateful to be bringing the word and continuing uh, in Luke chapter 24. Because last week, if you were with us, we celebrated the resurrection. We celebrated Easter And this week, we're going to kind of land on this thought of what do we do now? Now that Jesus is risen, what do we do? What what now? You know, if if Brandon Sloan was titling this message, that's what he would have titled it because he told me what to preach and I followed orders uh, because he is he is an amazing leader and anything he says goes sometimes. So uh, Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be focusing primarily Uh, on these accounts with the disciples and Jesus after Jesus rose from the grave. And I want to tell you this morning, just to kind of give you the outline of where we're going, uh, we have a mission, number one. We've been given a message, number two. And we also have been given power to carry that message. And I'm really excited to unpack that. Um, as we go today, because as Brian said, the resurrection, though we celebrated it last week, we also celebrate it every week. The resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. If the resurrection of Jesus were not true, we would be most pitied, as the Apostle Paul says. But because it is true, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to pick up what happened here, here in Luke 24. We're going to pick it up with what happened after Jesus was, was risen from the dead. And in these 40 days from when he rose and from when he ascended back to the Father again, 40 days were, where he was there with his disciples and also appearing to other people. But we're going to look at these accounts from Luke chapter 24. You know, this, this section of scripture, Luke 24, 44 through 49 specifically runs parallel to the great commission text that we so often quote from Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is familiar. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven on earth is given to me. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The mission is clear. We've talked about this. We talk about it almost every week. Jesus has left us with a mission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'm, I'm going to be with you the whole way. He's given us this mission. We don't need, the church doesn't need a missions department or a mission department in order to decide what type of mission we're going to be on. The church is a mission. 
the body of Christ is the plan to accomplish this mission. We are, as Christians, missionaries. So you don't need to be gifted to be a missionary. You don't need to be called. This might step on some people's toes just for a quick second. I'm gonna step on some more toes later, but just for a quick second here. You don't have to be called to be a missionary. As a Christian, you are a missionary. You've been given the mission. Now carry that mission. That's, that's where we are. We've been given the mission, we've been given a message, and we've been given power to carry it. And we are missionaries carrying that, that message and accomplishing that mission. Okay, the disciples are here in the room together. Luke 24, now we've arrived at our text. Verse 36, the disciples are in the room together. They're, they're, they're confused about what to do next. They're terrified. They don't know what's coming. That Jesus died. He, he, did, he did it all in a different way than they hoped and they were expecting. And now we arrive in this room where they're all talking to each other about what they've seen and heard and what to do next. In Luke 24, verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and they were frightened. They were not at peace. And they, and, and, and thought that they saw a spirit. And so Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Jesus came in and he said, peace to you. They, they, they were startled by that. They were frightened by that. I think that's pretty natural because this appearance of Jesus was sudden and it was mysterious. Like he, he just, he came through the wall. He, he surprised them. And I imagine this scene and, and the, the disciples are there and, and here's Jesus. And they're looking around like, did anybody see that door open? He just, he just appeared. He's telling us to be at peace, but I don't understand what's happening right now. I don't feel very peaceful. The door never opened, right, John? The door was closed the whole time, right? Like, am I going crazy? Am I losing my mind? Jesus said, peace to you. Isn't it fascinating that the first thing that Jesus did when he appeared was say, peace to you. The first thing that Jesus did was not immediately show them the proof. The first thing that he did was meet them on their level. He met that he recognized it. I know doubts are arising in your heart. I know you're frightened, but, but peace to you. He recognized their emotion. He recognized their response. He came down to where they were. And, and in this, we see the empathy of our Savior. The empathy of our Savior, that he is patient with fear. He's patient with doubts. He doesn't show them his hands and his feet immediately. He comes to them and says, Peace to you. Why are you troubled? Why are you troubled? He could have said, I told you this was going to happen. Get up. What are you doing? We talk about parenting for a little bit. Never mind. I got stories I'm not going to tell you about my, my struggles. Really, guys? I told you. I've been telling you. You've been following me. And here I am again, told you I was going to rise. The prophets told you I was going to rise. The whole Bible's telling you I was going to rise. And here I am, and you're scared about it. No, he says, peace to you. Why are you frightened? Why are, why are you afraid? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Children. And I think it's a beautiful picture of the patience 
and the empathy of our Savior, that, that he wants them to learn a deeper lesson, that he wants them to trust him even when, even without seeing the proof first, he wants to come to their level and help them, meet them at the level of their emotion and help them to trust him because of who he is because of what he said. And then he goes on in verse 39. See my hands and see my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. You, you can touch me. I know you think that I'm just a spirit right now, but, but a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. You can touch me. You can see it. Come. Come, come close enough to see it. Come close enough to touch it. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? <laughs> I love this. I love this. Hey, do you have anything to eat? I'm, I'm wondering if you have something to eat. I don't think in my, in my theology of Jesus, who is fully God, he doesn't need food at this point. Like he's, he's been risen from the dead. He's, he's, he's good. He don't, he don't need any food. It, by the way, he went 40 days and 40 nights without food in the wilderness. Why does he ask for food? Why does he ask for food? Not the same reason I ask for food, I don't think. I think he's asking for food in this moment. Not because he's hungry, but he's going a step deeper again to show them physical proof that this is Jesus, the Son of God, risen in bodily form, just as he said he would. He's going to great lengths to make himself accessible for the disciples so that they will believe. He's eliminating every shadow of a doubt. And this is important for the rest of our time together today because we must build everything about our faith and everything about our message and everything about our mission and everything about our witness on the fact that Jesus actually rose. That Jesus actually is alive. And he came to them, he said, do you have anything for me to eat? The lengths that our Savior went in order to aid our believing. And then we see in the text here, verse 44 happens quickly. We go straight to the next paragraph. And it almost seems like this is all a part of the same scene. But actually, in all reality, this is happening over the course of the next 40 days. Some scholars believe that this next part, verse 44 through 49, happened in the scene at, right before Jesus ascended. But other scholars and most scholars that I've studied believe that it happened over the course of the 40 days that he was alive. And we know that, 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 he, had, that he had risen from the dead after he died. And we know that from Acts chapter 1 as well when Luke is taking account. Remember, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and he wrote the Acts of the Apostles. That's, and so in the first chapter of Acts, we see that Jesus was alive again after the, after the grave for 40 days appearing to people. And most scholars believe that these six verses are taking that into account and, and bringing these things that Jesus said back as Luke is coming to a close in his gospel narrative. So let's read those now together. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus said it's been written, it's been prophesied, and now it's been fulfilled. You can see my hands, my feet. You can understand that what has been written about me, what has been spoken about me is true. I am fulfilling the law and the prophets. I stand before you today with this message of hope, this gospel that three days later after dying for the forgiveness of sins, I, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will rise from the dead and I will eventually ascend back to the Father that all who trust in my name will have the forgiveness of sins. And we'll have life forevermore. This is, the, this is the Christian message. Jesus just gave us the gospel right there. That, that our God is merciful. And by his grace, he has forgiven sins through Jesus Christ. Through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, we can now have forgiveness of sins. He came to forgive sins. Forgiveness is at the center of all that we believe Jesus has accomplished. Forgiveness. That's why there is no salvation apart from repentance. That's why we can't say we're presenting the gospel if we don't talk about the bad news before we talk about the good news because it's not good news if there's no bad news. And because the wages of sin is death, the good news is really good because the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Forgiveness is at the heart of our faith. The first sermon that we see preached by the apostles after Jesus appeared to them and then ascended back to the Father. The first sermon recorded is from Peter in Acts chapter two. And I love how Peter preaches this sermon. We're not gonna go through all of it because we don't have time, but he, he, he recites uh, Joel chapter two in the beginning of the sermon, and then he also gets to Psalm 16. He's bringing up these prophecies about Jesus, and he's pointing to the pointing to these prophecies and he's saying, men of Israel, hear this. This is Jesus whom you crucified. And we see in Acts chapter two, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? What do we do? What shall we do to be saved? And Peter said to them, repent, number one. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has done the work. Jesus has finished the war on sin and death. He's done that part. Now, your responsibility, Peter says, is to repent, number one, which means to turn from your sin and turn toward God following him, changing your mind, this act of changing your mind and walking towards righteousness. Believe, repent, believe on Jesus, and then be baptized, which is an act of obedience, which is our first step in following him. So what Peter is saying is, repent, turn from your wicked ways, turn from your sin, turn towards Jesus, believe in him for the forgiveness of your sins, and begin to follow him. This is, this is what, what Peter 
said to them, and, and we make it so complicated. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Sounds familiar. You are witnesses of these things, Luke said. You are witnesses of these things. I think most of us can agree that sharing uh, what we've experienced, sharing our faith, sharing the gospel, witnessing to people about what we've seen and what we've heard can be very intimidating. I remember growing up in an environment in a church where it was, it was always, uh, the question was always asked, did you do any witnessing today? Did you, did you get out? Are you coming to the visitation night where we're going to do some witnessing? We're going to go witness. And I was always confused about how that word was a verb, like from early on age. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? What are we going to do? We're going to witness to other people. We're going to. And it, it was always intimidating to me. It was always intimidating to me. And I think that's pretty natural for us. And we. Maybe you can relate to this fear or anxiety that rises up when you think about sharing your faith and sharing what you've witnessed. There was a barber one time who got convicted about the fact that he wasn't sharing his faith with anybody. He wasn't witnessing to people. And so one morning he got out of bed and he, he, he thought to himself, today's going to be the day, the first person, I'm just going to make a commitment right now, God, the first person that comes into my shop, I'm going to witness to him. So he gets to his shop, first person comes in, hey, I need a cut, I need a shave. This is back in the day where they did the, well, you can still get this, by the way, but the real razor, you know, the real razor. It looks like a, if you ever seen them do it, it looks like a butter knife, you know, they just lather you up and it's done, like that. I'm like, And so he comes in, the guy comes in, I need a shave, I need a cut, can you help me out? He's like, absolutely, but he's scared because he knows this is the guy. So he goes back in the back of the room and he's asking God, you, please give me the wisdom, please give me the words to say, I'm gonna witness to him, I already committed to you, I'm gonna witness to him. And so he grabs his Bible and he comes out of that back room and he walks up to the guy and he's got his razor in one hand and he's got his Bible in the other and he says, sir, I've got one question for you, are you ready to die? Probably could have led with a different question if you're going to have your in one hand. We have a mission to be witnesses. We have a, a mission, and it's to be witnesses. And we overcomplicate it, and it's scary, and I get it. But the reality is what, what we've been given is a mission to just witness, to just say what's happened, to just say what we've seen, to just say what we've heard, to just live it out. We've been given this mission and we know the message. And there's good news. And the good news is there's power available to carry it. You don't have to carry it on your own. God's made it possible for there to be power given to us to carry it. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time together. And the beautiful part for me is that clock never started. So I still got 35 minutes. <laughs> You are witnesses 
of these things. I'm just kidding. I won't take that. Maybe. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You are witnesses to these things. You're witnesses to these things. This is your mission. And verse 49, behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power. I spent some time on this this week. This is what I've been excited to get to. Clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city, he told him, until. Stay in the city until. Very important word. Until. You have been clothed. Wait until. You have been clothed with power. The power will be, will, will be like clothing. From on high. And the purpose is to empower you to be witnesses to these things that you've seen and heard. The purpose of the power is not to make you a hero. The purpose of the power is for you to talk about the hero. I didn't have that in my notes. It came to me, thought it was good. Nobody thought it was good. I'm gonna repeat it again. The purpose of the power is not to make you a hero. The purpose of the power is to give you power to communicate who the hero is and what the hero has done. You don't have to come up with your own story. The story is already written. And the promise of my father, Jesus said, I, I, behold, I am sending the promise of my father. What does he mean by that? We see in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The teacher, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the promise of the father will be sent. The Holy Spirit of God, the very presence of God, will be sent and he will inhabit he will dwell with his people this will be god with you luke begins acts in the same way similar very similar way that he ends his gospel account remember i said that that luke's kind of setting us up at the end of the gospel and then he's going off and and launching us on a ramp with the Acts of the Apostles. And in Acts chapter one, starting in verse four, this is what Luke said, very similar language. And while staying with them, he ordered, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait, but to wait. Somebody say, wait for the promise of the Father. Wait, that'd be a good word to underline or photographically memorize in your brain if you're, the, if you're good like that. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because that's really what we want you to do anyway. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you, there it is, here it is, not for you to worry about all that. Don't have time for all this right here. Because we're real interested in worrying about all that. 
But Jesus turns the corner very quickly. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But you will receive power. Memorize this verse 8. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be clothed with power. What does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power and it will be like garments. You will receive power. Why? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses first locally and then regionally and then nationally and globally. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's what he's saying here. But wait, he said, wait for the promise of the Father. So we see in Luke's gospel, stay in the city until you are clothed with power. And then here in Luke's account, his, his account of the apostles' acts, we see wait for the promise of the Father. Stay in the city. Wait for the promise. Then, until you are clothed with power from on high. Here's the question this morning. Are you willing to wait until you are clothed with power? Are you willing to wait? Are you willing to stay? Because it would be very easy for us to take this text and say, well, that was an isolated occurrence. That was an event that happened then that was a one-off thing that's specific in time and place where Jesus came to them and said, stay in the city and don't move until the Holy Spirit comes. And that's true. It is to a specific audience and it's for a specific purpose. But we're missing the point by a mile if we think that this is not relevant to us today. Because the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead and the same Holy Spirit that came upon the apostles, that is the same Holy Spirit that's here with us today. God still has power for us today. It's the same power. And it's given in the same way. But the pathway to this power is intimacy with the Father. The pathway to power is intimacy with the Father. This intimacy is only possible because of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has only been given because of Jesus. And so now we can draw near, the writer of Hebrews tells us, with great confidence to the most holy places because we've been washed clean with pure water, with the blood of the spotless lamb who was slain for the forgiveness of sins. And so now we come with him as our advocate, with him as our forerunner. Jesus Christ, his righteousness has been transferred to us. And we come with confidence to meet with God and we do it over and over and over. And we don't have to go to a specific place in a specific time with a certain set of rituals to do that. Because of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of the believer. But the pathway to power is intimacy with the Father. The pathway to power is intimacy. This How much time do you spend every day praying? 
rhetorical question, not trying to embarrass nobody. How much time do you spend every day in prayer? But for most of us, this question already kind of rules us out, if we're honest, because it's like every day. How much time every day? The pathway to power is intimacy with the Father. How much time do we spend with God every day? How much time do we spend in the presence of God? How much time do we spend accessing this presence that's been made possible by the greatest sacrifice, the greatest gift that's ever been given? How much time do we spend? Ezekiel 37, 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them. Listen to this prophecy that's here today that's been fulfilled in Jesus. This prophecy has been fulfilled in Christ. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them, pleased to dwell. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And and then the nations will know, this is how they will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel. It's, It's gonna happen. They're gonna know when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. In other words, they will know that these are my people when I am with them forevermore, when my sanctuary is with them, when I've made my dwelling place with them. God has gone to great lengths to make it possible for us as Gentiles probably most of us, to step into this same inheritance as the people of Israel. He has sent his son to make it possible for us to have a dwelling place with God. What are we doing with that? What are we doing with that? How much time are we setting aside to be with him? This is how the world will know that you are his. He will be with you. This is how you will reach the world for him. He will clothe you with power as you are with him. I think we need to grow in our understanding of this great promise from God that I will be with you. I will make my dwelling place with them and the world will know that they are mine. I will be with you. I think we need to sink deeply into that truth. That God has made it possible to be with us. It's all over the Bible. This promise is all over the Bible. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. Abraham, I am with you. Isaac, I am with you. Fear not. Jacob, fear not. I am with you. Moses, I am with you. Go, I am with you. But God, I don't know if I can speak. I got a stutter. I am with you. Joshua, I am with you. I know Moses died and he's one of the greatest leaders in the history of the world. It's okay. I'm still with you. I'm the hero. Mary, I know you're scared. You think everybody's going to cast you out because you're pregnant and you did it out of wedlock, but it's not like that because I did it because it's by my power and I am with you. Don't be afraid. And then we get to the Great Commission where we read earlier and the promise at the end. This is what he left the disciples with. He gave them the mission and he said, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
and we just kind of read it and move on to the next. And we just kind of come in here week after week. Here comes the toes. And we just kind of come in here week after week. And we just grow in our contentment of, to come to church. We can't just be content to come to church when he has brought his dwelling place in us by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit. We dwell with him. We can't just be content to go to a place when he has made you the place. We can't just be content to go and serve every once in a while when he's given you his power. He's given you who he is. I might take 35 more minutes if ain't nobody gonna come. It begins with waiting. It begins with dwelling. It begins with staying. Stay in the city. Wait for the promise of God to come. It begins there. That's where it is. That's where it begins. That's where it ends. That's where it happens. But it it begins with making the decision to pray. It begins with making the decision, let's be honest, to not hit snooze and to get on up. It begins with the decision to turn off the TV. Some more toes. Here we just. But I need the news to kind of wake up my mind. You know, I'm just having my coffee while I'm watching the news. What if it was different? What if we just tried it? What if we just tried to start in a different way? What if we just tried it? I was challenged by one of my mentors last week. He told me he's, he's up at five every day, doesn't need an alarm, and, he's, and he goes straight to his desk. And I'm like, so you don't get coffee first? No, I go straight to my desk. What time do you get to your desk? Five. What time do you wake up? Five. Well, that's not possible. Yeah, it is. I go to my desk. I start reading. What if we tried it? What if we tried to let the greatest news in the history of the world, the fact that we have the dwelling place of God inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit, be what wakes up our mind rather than Fox? What if we tried it? What if we made it a habit rather than needing 300 milligrams of caffeine? I am there to wake myself up. But this takes time, and this is a price that we have to pay. It doesn't happen overnight. It begins with these decisions, these small decisions to leave your phone in the other room, to turn off Netflix and not deal with all that. It begins with with the decision to tune out the world and press into the presence of God because we're not that good at multitasking if we're really honest with ourselves. The answer is to dwell with Jesus. The answer is to wait on the Lord. And I'm afraid that we are a church just like the global church, not throwing off on this one, love my church, that we are, the church is full of people who are trying to follow but don't know how to wait. I think there are too many Christians that are eager to follow before they learned how to wait on the Lord, before they learned how to stay in the city until they were clothed with power. 
We must first learn to wait. Jesus said, abide in me, for apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't know if we really understand the gravity of that. For apart from me, everybody, you can do nothing. You've been a Christian for 60 years. You've been getting up with me every morning. You don't need Fox News to wake you up. Great. Still, apart from me, you can do nothing. Because I'm the vine and you're the branches. Don't get it twisted. So in order to tap into the life source, we must walk this pathway to power, which is through intimacy with the Father. And it's not easy. It's not easy these days. But the good news is, when you truly abide, he said, abide in me, wait on me, stay until with me. When you truly abide, you don't have to strive to follow Because that's the nature of intimacy. When you're already close, you don't have to strive for closeness. Everything I do for God must be a consequence of being with God. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So abide in me. I, I gave you the formula. It's not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine steps. It's Abide in me. So when you abide in me and you have intimacy, I will clothe you with power. It might take longer than you hoped for. But wait. Stay until. Moses was one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. I think I already mentioned that. And he understood this concept. He understood it deeply. And he, consequently, was clothed with power. Exodus 34. We're going to read a few verses here as we come to a close. Exodus 34, starting in verse 29. You, you got you to have this picture here. Moses was meeting with God for long periods of time. He, he was going away and, and away from the people, away from the camp to be with God. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Two chapters before, it talks about how Moses was able, that God talked with Moses like a man speaks with his friend. This intimacy was significant, and Moses being with God at such a degree he came down from the mountain and he didn't even realize it, but his face was shining. His face shone because he had been talking with God. And Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Whoa! Have you looked in the mirror yet? No, we don't have mirrors. I look in the river to see my face, which rarely happens because I've been with God. Difference, that's another sermon right there. Do you know your face is shining? 
Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. So whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with them, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining because he had been with God. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Moses' face was like the moon, reflecting the light that had been shining on it for some time. This is remarkable. This is miraculous. But this actually happened. This isn't a fable. Sometimes we got to remember, we got to remind ourselves this isn't a fable. This is an account of reality. And this is the result of intimacy, of fellowship, of waiting on God in the secret place. Moses had been fasting for 40 days. Some scholars believe this is the second period of time where he fasted for 40 days within a close within close proximity. Even some scholars believe that he did this three times around this time period, 40 days without food. And some people think that he didn't even have water. I don't know how that's possible. Fasting, starving himself of the world, removing all distractions and focusing on God. And the result we see, he comes down with his face glowing like the moon. This is no casual fellowship, this is no casual intimacy. And I know we're getting into this territory where some of you may be like, Jared, this sounds pretty legalistic. This sounds pretty works-based. This sounds kind of like if you do this, then you will receive this. And I just wonder why it's so hard for us to believe that our relationship with God will grow in intimacy as we focus less on the world and more on him. wonder why we're so scared of this as if it's transactional. There's nothing transactional about my man's face shining. That is transformational. That is, I've been with him. I didn't even know what happened to me, but everybody else knew it. Everybody else saw it. I was on mission. I had a message. I, w- I needed to tell what God had commanded me. I needed to tell them the law. I didn't even think about what just happened. I didn't even think about telling them, hey, look at me. I've been with God. You check out my face. I didn't even think about looking in the river because I had a mission. I had a message. And then they were scared of me and they saw because God's glory had shone on his face. Why? Because he was in such deep communion and intimacy with him. I don't know why it's so hard for us to understand and believe that we will grow in our intimacy with him the more we push the world away and the more we focus our attention on him it changes things it changes everything and we should be careful to excuse our limited communion with God in the name of grace and anti-legalism Grace. 
I don't have to do these things anymore because of grace. No, you get to do these things anymore because of grace. You are empowered to do these things now because of grace. You don't have to bring the blood of lambs and goats to come into the presence of God. You have been given the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you have trusted in him for the forgiveness of sin. We need a fresh obsession. We need, we need to be obsessed with why am I not obsessed with this? And why am I obsessed with this in a different way when I come to church? Why am I not willing to pay the price of intimacy? I'm going to say this and I'm probably going to regret it later. But I don't think we have any business coming to the altar today if we're not willing to build an altar at home in the morning. Don't come. Don't come to the altar today in front of everybody if you're not willing to build an altar at home in the morning. What does that look like, Jared? There's a bunch of ways that looks like. I'm not trying to check that. I'm just trying to say, if we're not meeting with God in the secret place, what did Jesus say about that with the Pharisees that like to pray out front with everybody hearing them? Are we willing to go in the secret places with God? Are we willing to create space for Him with the same energy that we created that entertainment center in the basement? I got a basement with entertainment center. Don't hate me. Are we willing to pay the price for intimacy? William Barclay said this, and it rocked me, and it formed most of what I'm telling you today, just this one quote, it's, it's literally two sentences. And he said, the first essential towards receiving the power of Jesus is to have intense desire for it. If in our inmost hearts, we are well content to stay as we are, there can be no change for us. The first essential towards receiving the power of Jesus is to have intense desire for it. If in our inmost hearts we are well content to stay as we are, there can be no change for us. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, our being, as we behold, our being now transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It ain't happening like that. It's happening over time from one degree to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So my question, my challenge, do we want to be free? Do, do, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Do we want to be free? Or do we just want to feel better? Or do we just want to do better? We just want to treat the altar like a hand-washing station. When he's offering us freedom, freedom, and he's put the power inside of you. If 
you're tired of being powerless, start getting alone with Jesus. The stranger to power is a stranger to prayer. Some of the most important words, this is it. This is the last thing I'm gonna say to you. Some of the most important words that Jesus said to them after he rose was, wait, stay until. Jared, how long do, do I need to pray in the morning? Okay, all right, all right, I got it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a place for me to be with God in the mornings. I'm gonna change my routine. I'm gonna work to make time to be with God. I got it. How long should I stay there? Until. That's how long? Until. How many chapters of the Bible should I read a day? Until. There's no numerical threshold on intimacy. There's no one, two, three, four, you got it. There's no cause. This is, this is not you do this enough and I will do this. This is wait on the Lord. He will decide. He will pour out his grace. He will shower you with his love and he will clothe you with power. But are you willing to wait until, man, if we started raising up until Christians, if we started raising up people that were willing to wait until we would never be the same because it's the until people that come out with their face shining. It's the until people who don't have time to be addicted to pornography. It's the until people who have a much better place to be on a Friday night than at the bar. It was Friday night, Jared. Had a long week. We need a fresh obsession. We need to realize that there is literally no better place to be than with Jesus. Yes, even on a Friday night. It's the until people that come out with their faces shining. It's the until people whose minds are so occupied with the presence of God that there's no room for anything else in there. We need to be some until people. Wait until. There's no bitterness that stands a chance in your heart when you've waited until. There's no unforgiveness. There's no, there's no anger that stands a chance when you've waited until and you've been filled by his presence and his power and his word. No pain, no hurt, no habit, no hang up, no temptation stands a chance in the heart and mind of the until person. I told you not to come to the altar and now I'm going to tell you to come to the altar because I hope you build an altar at home too. That's weird, altars. That's a weird word. I don't understand that. don't have to be. It could be, actually it's better if it's in a closet and nothing's around. Brian's, Pastor Brian's under his desk. Got sticky notes everywhere. I can't fit, so I rely on his testimony of what's under there, but he's got sticky notes everywhere. And he goes in there until and the door's closed, and the lights are on, and nobody's home, and I'm like looking through the window, is anybody there? And if you listen quietly enough, you can hear the murmuring, because he's waiting until. How long do we have to pray today? 
How much do we need to read today? How, much, how long does my list need to be of intercession? How long do I need to be praying for people in our church, in our community? How long do I need to spend praying for my kids that are out there doing God knows what they're doing? How long do I need to pray for this addiction to be broken? How long do I need to spend on my hands and my knees crying out to God? I don't know. So my answer is until... So we're going we're gonna to open up the altar like we always do. We're going to spend some time. You don't have to come up here. You can stay in your seat, make an altar there because his dwelling place is with the Christian. But we're going to spend some time waiting until. And this is just a foretaste. This is just a shadow because we actually don't have that much time. But you do have time when you go home at nighttime or in the morning time, depending on how early you get to wait until. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.